Welcome, everybody. Um, I'd say good to see you again, but I can't see you. You can only see me. Um, hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone is uh, keeping their sanity as they're a little bit more isolated than they might have ever been in their lives before. Uh, I wanted to tell everyone thank you. Thank you for watching last week. It was really interesting. Kyle and I and a couple other people would, would kind of take shifts being in here as the live stream was actually going during the four services and sitting back and just watching how many of you were tuning in, if you will, and, and watching that and seeing all the positive responses and seeing the pictures of people in their homes with their families and with their friends, uh, taking communion together, worshiping together, watching the live stream together. I just wanna tell you thank you. I know it is different. I know we're all trying to kind of adjust to this uh, very interesting time that we're in, but thank you guys. Uh, you guys have been extremely great. We're praying for all of you. We're praying for your job situations. We're praying for your kids' school situations. We're just praying for our government, local, federal, and we're praying for the church. Um, before we get into this lesson today, I just wanna tell you guys, uh, the Lord is working, good things are happening. If you didn't see, we actually got to baptize two people last weekend, which is really, really neat, especially considering all the things that are going on right now. So God is good, God is still working, and uh, we really, really appreciate you guys. So if you're new to the church and um, you've never been with us before, I know there's people probably all over the country and all over the world who are maybe watching us for the first time. If you're new, we're going through what's called the book of Matthew. And maybe a lot of you already know what that is. It's the first book of the New Testament. We're in probably the most important part of one of the most important books of the entire Bible. We're in a section of the book of Matthew, again, which is the first book of the New Testament, and most of that book is about the life of Jesus. Not just the life of Jesus, but him pouring into a small group of men so these men can go out, and what the rest of the New Testament is, is these men going out and teaching other people about Jesus, writing about Jesus, living out the commands of Jesus, and it is Christianity being birthed and spread around the entire globe. That's what we have after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are called the Gospels, okay? But in Matthew, where we're at right now is we're towards the end of a, of a piece of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And what this is, is starting in chapter five, Jesus brings his 12 disciples up on a hill. He starts to speak to them, and we don't know this for sure, but more than likely, people realized where they were, and as he is teaching them this lesson, this crowd builds and builds and builds and builds. And we have in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, some of the most important principles that the Bible teaches. Practical, straightforward, applicable, timeless. And we saw last week as we were in the second half of chapter six, man, you talk about right on time. You talk about pertinent, you talk about relevant. You talk about the Bible coming right at the exact moment that it needed to, to, to come into our lives and speak to us last week. And we talked about seeking first the kingdom of God, not to live in anxiety, not to live in greed, not to live in self, selfishness, but to seek first his kingdom. So we kind of continue that theme a little bit. And today we're gonna do half of chapter seven. Now, what we're gonna end on and we'll come back around to this, is we're gonna talk about what is the evil inside of us. We're so good at pointing out the evil in everything else, but what about the evil in us? We're gonna circle back around to that. But today, we're gonna to talk about some of the most misunderstood scriptures in the entire Bible, some of the misused passages in the entire Bible, 
and some of the least applied passages in the entire Bible. All of it just in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 7. It's going to be really, really interesting. So if you're new to the church, if you have a Bible, or maybe about 70% through it, okay, in the book of Matthew chapter 7, if you're new to the church or if you're new to Christianity, if you want to download the Experience Community app, all of our notes and all the scriptures on that app, you can get that on any smartphone. Um, all of our notes should be on the app. They should also be on the website if you need those. And if you need to get a hold of us, info at experiencecc.com, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. We're going to get into Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12 today, all right? And um, we'll see where God takes us. But there's going to be some really, really fascinating very practical, very uh, relevant scripture for us today, okay? So let me pray, and we'll jump into this, okay? Father, Lord, I love you. God, I wanna tell you thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for everyone who's watching this live stream right now. We thank you, God, for people all over uh, our city, our state, our nation, all over the world, God, who may be watching this. We pray, Father, that your word really touches our heart this morning, God. We need your word so bad right now, God. We need the wisdom of your word. We need the clarity of the word right now. Lord, if there's anyone new that's watching this, I pray that maybe somehow through this lesson today that you will spark something in them to where they will want to know more about you. Father, we pray for the other churches in our city. Pray for the other churches in our, our county, our state, our nation, our world, God. Lord, we pray for our local government. We pray for our federal government. We pray, Jesus, that your will be done right now, God. Lord, all the stuff that is shaking down right now, God, you are in control. You knew this was going to happen, Lord, so we just place all of our trust in you, Lord. Let your will be done, God, here as it is in heaven, Father. Lord, keep your hand on me as I teach. I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, is, is directed by you, God, and, and, and reflects your heart. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get into chapter seven. I'm gonna read a little bit, and you guys are gonna know the first part of this, and I'm gonna go back and break it down, okay? Jesus says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, so Matthew chapter seven, verse one and two may possibly be the most misunderstood passage in the entire Bible. Not only is it the most misunderstood passage in the entire Bible, it is probably the most known passage of the Bible. Even if you're not a believer, all the time people will use this scripture, right? Judge not lest ye be judged. We even use the King James Version. We go way back, right? Old school. And so people all the time are talking about, don't judge me or you're gonna be judged. You have no right to judge me. Only God can judge me. We use this way out of context. 
Well, here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible does God make a blanket prohibition about making judgments. What Jesus warns us to do is he says, when you do make judgments, don't make them hypocritically. Don't make them with arrogance. Don't make them with a lack of wisdom. We're going to see in just a couple of verses that Jesus tells us to make judgments. So Jesus is not saying that we cannot judge, but we are not to judge with hypocrisy, with arrogance, and with a lack of knowledge and wisdom. That's what Jesus is saying. So what we have to do is we have to use a better standard than what the world has when it comes to right and wrong, righteousness. Our standard, that's humanity, right? Our standard of right and wrong always comes up short. Our standard of right and wrong reveals self-righteousness. It reveals hypocrisy. So if mankind's standard doesn't work, then we have to say, well, what standard does? What standard can we use to live at the level that we need to live at? And well, that's obvious, right? The standard has to be something above mankind's. It has to be God's. So listen, we are to make judgments in every corner of our life. But we are to make judgments using God's standard and not our standard. And when we use God's standard and hold people to that standard, we also have to be willing to be held by that same standard. But if we hold that standard to others but don't hold it to ourselves, right? You can't do that, but I can. That makes us hypocrites, exactly what Jesus tells us not to be. So do we make judgments? Of course we do. We make righteous judgments by his standards. And here's the thing, on a practical level, guys, it is impossible to live without making judgments. If you're a parent, you know this, right? You make all kinds of judgments. If you're a teenager going out into this world that is crazy, you have to make judgments. Should I do this or not do this? And so even if we're to follow the Bible, we have to make judgments. The principles that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount cannot be lived out without making judgments. So one of Jesus's biggest challenges, though, in the book of Matthew, especially in the part we're in right now, is Jesus challenges us to live above the world's standards. He says, live above religious standards, live above political, whatever the worldviews are of righteousness, and decide to follow a higher standard. Make a good judgment based on something that truly is righteous, God's standard. That's what he's telling us to do. Let me go back here. Matthew says, or I'm sorry, Jesus says this, not in the book of Matthew, but in the book of John. He says, stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather judge according to righteous judgment. So again, Jesus says, you're gonna have to make judgments, but we don't judge by just what we can see with our eyes. We judge by the standard by which God has given us. Again, do we have to make judgments? Of course we have to make judgments. But how do we make those judgments? Now, here's another part. Now, we're going to kind of build on this as we go. It's so interesting how this first half of this chapter works. The most misused part of what I just read is verses 3 through 5. So if the most misunderstood is verses 1 and 2, the most misused is verses 3 through 5. And we quickly say, no one can judge me, right? Because you have a beam of wood in your eye, there's no way you can address the splinter in my eye. Now listen, 
It is true we are all imperfect. It is true that all of us, if this room were filled, right, or all the people watching right now, it is true that all of us have something that we probably struggle with, something that we fail at. That is true. But those of us who may have overcome a certain particular sin, we are called by God because God has helped us to overcome a certain sin, to reach out to others that may struggle with that sin and to point out that that is wrong in their lives and to help them overcome it. So let's talk real for a second. And again, I'm gonna be careful because I know some of your kids may be in the room. Let's talk about pornography. And so what Jesus is saying is this. We need to tell people that pornography is a sin. We need to tell pornography that, uh, people that pornography is destructive and awful and degrading. We do need to say that. But if we have a porn addiction, we have no right looking at someone else who struggles with it and saying, you're so, you're so wrong for doing that. We need to first address what is wrong with us, and then we can go address what is wrong with other people. That's what Jesus is saying. But here's what we love to do, because we do not like to own our sin. We do not like to own the things we've done wrong. So what we do is we play the blame game. We're awesome at it in the United States. And here's what we claim to do, and I'm gonna go back to this at the very end of this lesson. Oftentimes when we crack open the word of God or we read a scripture on someone's Instagram or Facebook or whatever the case may be, we step back and we say, yes, look at the evil in the world. Look at the evil in that group of people. Look at the evil in that person over there. And what Jesus is trying to do is Jesus, when we open the Bible, first and foremost, before we can address the evil of the world, Jesus says, let's address the evil in you. Let's address the evil that is in our heart. That's why Jesus says, first deal with the beam of wood in your own eye, and then go work on the splinters of other people. So if we are to be splinter removers, if you will, we have to first deal with the sin that is in us. And maybe the reason why the church hasn't done so well at addressing all the sin in the world is we still have a lot of unaddressed sin within the church. Hmm? And so we have to be careful. Are we called to go out and remove splinters? Absolutely we are. Jesus says this. But we are incapable of removing splinters until we deal with the beam of wood in our own eyes. So Jesus also addresses, what if we go out, right? What if we go out, we have addressed the beam of wood in our own eye. We love people, we love God, we love righteousness, we love the word, we wanna tell people about it. But what if we go out and people just don't want to hear it? Well, verse six is a little bit shocking, right? Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Don't throw it out in front of dogs. They're gonna trample it, they're gonna hurt you. So here's the thing. We're not to be critical, we're not to be judgmental people, but we are to make sound, discerning judgments about people. We are to be wise about people. Now, discernment is a gift from God. We need to ask God for that gift. God, give me the ability to be able to discern who I should pour into and who I maybe shouldn't. We need to pray for that. And Jesus tells us that some people will only be a distraction to the gospel. Some people will only waste precious time. Now, that's a very difficult thing for us to say because we have this mentality that we just can't give up on people. And it's not that we're giving up on people, but God is telling us there are some people that do not want to hear the truth. Now, here's the mistake we make with that a lot. 
we tend to want to force the gospel on people. We want to force it on friends. We want to force it on family. We want to force it on some poor person in Starbucks that just wants to do their work, but we want to impose this on them. And what that typically does to non-believers, if we try to force it on them, is it just makes them want to push away from it. I don't know how you are. I'm like this. If you're going to try to give me something or, or talk to me and you're trying to force it down my throat, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't like being pushed. I don't like being cornered. And that's what happens. We have to be careful. If we try to force the gospel on unwilling people, it's going to drive them further away. The other thing is, is we waste so much energy trying to convince people who don't want to be convinced that there are people out here, right, that do want to hear the truth. They are receptive to the truth. So we need to find the people who are receptive. As we go on and on through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see Jesus actually live this out. There are some towns he would go into. They didn't want to hear anything about him. So the Bible actually says he didn't do much in those towns. He went on to the next town. And Jesus commanded his disciples to follow his lead. Jesus even goes so far to say that there are people not only that don't want to hear the Gospel, they are enemies of the Gospel. They hate the Gospel and they hate the idea of God. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter one. I was over here the other night, night, morning. I, I've, I've lost all sense of time. It was about two o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm right over here and I'm reading the book of Romans. And I got through, I think, 10 chapters of Romans and I'm reading through it. And man, Romans chapter one, if Paul didn't write any more in Romans besides chapter one, that, that chapter just nails it. And in chapter one, Paul says that there are some people who have been given over to a depraved mind a worthless mind. Some translations say a reprobate mind. These are people that hate the idea of God. They hate the idea of the truth that is the word of God. Now those people will trample us, it says. They will just hurt us. They're not receptive, right? Here's the problem with Christianity though. And guys, some of you who are watching this on Facebook Live, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurt your feelings for a second. A lot of Christians get on Facebook, they get on Instagram, they get into coffee shops when we could still do such a thing. And they would get into these, these situations. And I think a lot of Christians more, they care more about winning an argument than they care about the kingdom of God growing by another soul. So we're more concerned about winning our argument, right? Than we are about actually sharing our faith and love. And what Jesus is telling us is this, at the end of this, he says, you've got to have enough wisdom and you've got to have enough discernment to know when to cut the conversation off. When to know that it's not doing any good. Let them go. Pray for them. Pray that God softens their heart. Pray that they come to a place of recognition to where they understand that the life that they're living is not good for them or for their eternity. But Jesus is saying, you need to have the wisdom and knowledge to, to walk away sometimes. So Christians that are all about arguing, there are some of you out there, you just love starting an argument. And I'm gonna tell you, that's not the way that we're called to live. Look at what Paul says right here. This is, this is one of those scriptures that we hate to read. It says, submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, here it comes, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind always showing gentleness to all people. That's the part we hate, right? When, when Paul wrote this to, to Titus and said, show love, show kindness, don't argue with all people. Well, but Corey, they think this, all people. 
Well, Corey, they posted this. All people. Well, they, they are really mean and, and hateful. All people. And look at what he says. For we too were once foolish. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions, by various pleasures. We used to live in malice and envy. We used to be hateful and detesting each other. Because if you don't have God in your life, that's how you act. But we have a tendency to want non-Christians to act like Christians. And that's not how it works. That's why we have to have the love and the wisdom and the discernment and the guidance from God's Holy Spirit to know how to, pe- how to talk to people, when to talk to people, listen, and when not to talk to people. So, to all people, don't argue, don't talk bad about them, show gentleness, tough stuff, okay? Next part. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Again, you talk about a pertinent passage for this time. Let me tell you, if you're watching this right now, and I say this, and sometimes I even have to talk myself into this, God is concerned about us right this second. Every second of every day, God cares about us. When Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, he tells his disciples, ask, seek, knock, more than likely he was saying, whenever your daily needs arise, ask me. Ask for my help. So Jesus is urging, that's why he says it three times. He is urging his followers to consistently depend on him and to be persistent in asking for what they need on a daily basis. This doesn't contradict the repetition that we talked about in chapter six, right? You don't have to ask for daily provision 25 times in a day. But Jesus is saying every single day we should be praying and we should be saying, Lord, give us today our daily bread, right? Give us today what we need. The thing is this, God is a good father and he wants to provide for his children. So we are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock. And so what Jesus says, he uses three asks, And then he shows us that we receive three answers. Jesus uses three verbs, right? Three verbs, and he responds to those. He says, you will receive, you will find, a door will be opened. Again, further showing that if we're consistent in seeking God, this is so important, if we're consistent in seeking God, God is consistent in meeting us where we are. God is consistent in providing for those needs. Now, here's where it gets complicated. That doesn't mean that we get whatever we want just because we consistently and persistently ask for it. What happens is, is when we consistently and persistently seek God first, we get what he wants for us. That's difficult for us. Doesn't mean we get whatever we want, but if we have a relationship with him, we will get whatever he wants for us. 
The book of James deals with this a little bit. Now, this is a tough one, guys. James says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Now, there are some of us that pray for good things, a sick child to be healed, the economy to bounce back. We pray for our government or our family. Or, those are good things to pray for. But I think what James is saying is, every single prayer should start with, Lord, your will. What is your will? God, what do you want? Even more than what I want or what I think I need, what do you want? What do you think I need? Those are the proper motives to go to God in prayer. And so we have to seek his desire, his wants. And that's challenging, guys. But we're to position ourselves to seek the desires of God first. First. And if we seek his desires first and his will first, however things shake down, I give you my word, we will be blessed by it, even if it's in eternity. What that boils down to, though, is this, and this is where we struggle. God, it's where I struggle. It's where if you were sitting in the seat, you would struggle. Where you're sitting at home, we struggle. Humanity struggles with this. The key that turns this whole engine on is humility. It is accepting that God is greater than me. It is accepting that he knows what I need more than I know what I need. So we have to admit that we need his help. Not only do we need to admit that we need his help, we need to accept what he says regardless of how we feel. That's where it gets tough. Well, God, what if you don't want me in this relationship? I won't be in it. Well, what if you don't want me to do this or do that? Or what if you want me to move? Or what if you want me to give this up or sacrifice that? If we are humble enough to say, God, you know better than me. I will do whatever you want me to do regardless of what I feel. That's where we're to position ourselves. That's where we're trying to get to. Now, again, we're gonna hit a little close to home, okay? I think the reason why so many of us struggle with this, guys, and I'll be the first one to tell you, I sometimes struggle with it. I think the reason why we struggle with submitting to God and being humble and saying, Lord, it's what you want, is because sometimes we perceive God the way we shouldn't perceive God. This is why Jesus uses this analogy. It's such a good analogy. He says, and he even calls us evil. <laughs> he says, which one of you evil people, right? If your child were to walk up and say, give me bread, you give him a rock. Which one of you evil people, if your children walk up and say, give me a fish, you give them a snake, right? Those of you in Louisiana, you guys would still eat it. But anyways, so how many of you, you evil people that you are, Jesus says, if your kids ask for food that you're gonna give them something that's not edible, right? Jesus says now, even though you're evil, you're gonna do the right thing for your kids. His point is, how much more do you think I'm gonna do what's right by you? So the question is, how do we perceive our father? Do we perceive him as someone that's not going to help us? Do we, here's what we do, guys. What we do is we take the hurts of this life. We take the hurts of what other people have done to us, maybe our earthly father, and we take those hurts and we put those on God. We impose those on God. And we say, because my earthly father let me down, I expect my heavenly father to let me down as well. So let's be honest with you right now. Let's be honest, all of us. Do we sometimes take the imperfections of mankind and impose those imperfections on him? I do. Sometimes when I, when I mess up and I sin, I think of how unforgiving my father was. 
And so I then put that on God and I feel the need to repent for it 25 times. And God is the good father he is after the first one, he forgave me. But what we do is we take that hurt and we impose it on a perfect God. And what we have to know is this, he's not the one that has hurt us. Mankind has hurt each other, but God has never hurt us. And this portion of scripture, look at this, I wrote this for me, provides comfort for the deep needs of many adults who are inwardly abandoned and broken children. God is trying to get to the core of us. God is not the abuser. God is the one that helps those who have been abused. We have to remember that. He loves us. He wants good things for us. But we must let him heal us. We must let him deliver us. We must let him fix those things that are broken inside of us. Other people might have broke those, but we have to let God deal with those things in our lives, okay? One verse, this last part, one verse. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay, let me go back. So if verse uh, Matthew 7, 1 and 2 is the most misunderstood, if Matthew 7, 3 through 5 is the most misused, Matthew 7, 12 is the least practiced. This is when we do the least. So the golden rule is what this is called, verse 12. One of the most common phrases that people use that is a biblical uh, uh, terminology or, or biblical uh, alluding to, to parts of the Bible, it's not only used in Christianity, it's used worldwide, right? The golden rule, the golden rule. And so our problem with this golden rule is our application of it. We're terrible at it. Now, what's fascinating is it's extremely simple. This is something if you have kids or if you've ever been a kid, right, that we heard or we told our children ever since they were old enough to understand, treat people the way you wanna be treated. Don't do that to them if you wouldn't want it done to you. And so this is so simple. Look what Jesus says. Whatever you want others to do for you, do the same for them. You don't have to break out like a Greek lexicon or a Strong's Concordance. It is very, very straightforward. Treat people the way you wanna be treated. And when Jesus says, this is the law, this is the prophets, at the time Jesus said that, there was no New Testament. So the entire whole of the scripture, Jesus said, basically can be summed up in this phrase. Just treat people good. Treat people the way you wanna be treated. That embodies everything that is in the Old Testament. Treat people the way you wanna be treated. So here's the thing. We need to go back to just simple obedience. You don't have to have a PhD in Greek or you don't have to be a master's in divinity to understand Matthew 7, 12. Just go out and treat people the way that you wish they treated you, okay? It's so simple. Jesus is gonna even simplify the entire Bible, the Old and New Testament later on. In Matthew 22, Jesus is gonna clarify the entire overarching principles of this huge book, right? This huge book can be summed up into two phrases. Love God, have a relationship with God, and love other people. Now, where does the golden rule fall into that? The golden rule is a reflection of the first commandment, to love God. If we don't love God, we can't love other people the way we should. And you can also flip it the other way. If we don't love other people the way we should, we can't fully love God. 
These two commands cannot be divorced from each other. They cannot be separated. The Christian can't say, I love God, but don't like people. I don't love people. I don't care about people. He can't say that. That's why it is the church's job to do community service. That's why it is the church's job to go out and reach the community around them, right? To be benevolent to the community around them. Because a love for God will turn into also a love for people, and it goes back and forth, back and forth, okay? So we talked about three monumental and very, very practical things just in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 7, right? Things that have been misunderstood, things that have been used out of context, and things that just haven't been done, right? That's what we've talked about today. The first one is this. I want to let you know, whenever someone says, judge not lest ye be judged, right? How dare you judge me? As the, the great philosopher masterpiece said, only God can judge me, right? I hope someone laughed at that out there. Some 40-year-old hip-hop enthusiast just laughed really hard at that. But the first thing we talked about was this. We do make judgments, but we make righteous, biblically-based judgments, the only way that we can make righteous, good judgments that are not hypocritical is we must be reading the word of God and we must be praying for God to give us the gifts of discernment and wisdom. So everyone who's listening to me right now, you will make judgments. You will make them today. The question is, how do we make those judgments? By whose standard are we using to make those judgments, right? Are they righteous judgments? We are also called to help others with sin. Well, you're not allowed to address the sin in my life because you have sin in your life. Listen, all of us have struggles, but you may be struggling with something different than what I'm struggling with. So I'm to point out to you that that is wrong, and you're to point out to me that is wrong. And then we're to ask God to help us address the beam of wood in our eyes so we can go out to other people who struggle with different sins and help them remove those splinters from their eyes before they turn into beams of wood. That's what we're called to do. But we first must address the evil in us. So the first thing we talked about today was judgment. The second thing we talked about today was a trust issue, right? A provision issue. Do we consistently pray for God to provide for our needs? It's probably a lot of us right now that are, aren't we? Guys, can we, just, can we just be honest? And I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it, it has happened to me too. Isn't it a terrible shame that in Christianity, it takes something like this, it takes the coronavirus for us to go back to God? Isn't that a shame? Guys, I'm the same. I don't know if I said it last week or not, I, I, I can't remember. But I was in here the other night, three o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, walking around this sanctuary, and I just started bawling. I started weeping. I started walking by all the different art pieces in here and the different stories that are written on the wall and actually even went outside and looked at the front of our building. And I said, God, forgive me. I have taken this for granted. God, forgive me. I have forgotten how good we have it. In the good times and in the bad times, are we consistently praying for God to provide for us? Even further than that, do we say, God, your wants, your needs, your desires. God, whatever that looks like, I'll submit to those things. Do we do that? Is it difficult? Heck yes, it's difficult. But do we trust him? 
If we don't trust him, let me ask you, how do you perceive him? Do you impose the hurts of the past onto God? Or do we see God as the good father that he is? The kind of father that if you say, Lord, I need this, he gives us good things. How do we perceive God? Now, let me get even more personal, okay? I think a lot of us have such a hard time moving on and trusting God and growing in our faith because a lot of us find identity in our hurt. A lot of us find identity in the fact that we've been abused. A lot of us find identity in the fact that we've been taken advantage of, we've been lied to, we've been hurt. Now, here's the thing, guys. I'm not trying to be insensitive. If you've been abused or if you've been hurt or if, you've, if you're the product of divorce or abandonment or whatever the case may be, let me, let me tell you a couple things. First, guys, everyone has scars, all of us. The difference between non-believers that have scars and believers that have scars is if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit of God, by his word, says this, gives us the ability to be more than overcomers of our circumstances. Which means if we have been abused, if we have been hurt, if we have been abandoned, if we've been lied to, if people have done the worst things to us, I'm so sorry for that, but God intends to help you out of that. And your identity is not what has happened to you, your identity is, what in, is in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. That's where your identity should be. And I'm sorry that those things have happened, but God can heal that hurt. And you may still acknowledge that those things exist, but you can move past these things. But I think a lot of people find identity in what's been done to them. The last thing we talked about was this, the golden rule, right? And there is no divorcing a love of God and a love of people. Neither one are possible without the other. If you love God, you're gonna love people. If you truly love people to their fullest, it's because you have loved God first. You cannot divorce the two, right? They are 100% are connected. And Jesus says this entire book can be summed up in two things, loving God, loving people. Simple, simple stuff. So let's be honest, and we all fail at this. Do we do our best to live out the golden rule? I don't. After the fact, I'll, I'll usually go clean it up. I'm the guy that, you know, like if service is terrible in a restaurant, right? If, if, if it takes too long or if my, you know, glass of water is empty and I've eaten my whole dinner and I had never had anything to, to drink, I'm the first one to kind of be like a punk, right? And then I realize I'm being a punk and I clean it up, right? But how often in those situations do we, do we maybe step out of the situation that we didn't have water for our meal and say, well, maybe they're understaffed. Maybe my waitress is in the middle of going through a divorce. Maybe she's a single mom that is struggling and has a lot on her mind and she's just a little off of her game today. Do we take ourselves out of the situation and say, how would I want to be treated in this situation? With grace and mercy and some compassion and understanding or with an iron tan that doesn't tip? How would I want to be treated in that situation? How do we do with the golden rule? Here's the last thing I want to talk about with you guys. This is it. Last slide. Throughout all, throughout all of the Bible, but a lot in the Gospel of Matthew and a lot in these three chapters, five, six, and seven, Jesus is trying to get to the core of us. He's trying to penetrate our hearts. 
He's trying to get deep inside of us to get us to ask the bigger questions. Now, here's what we do in our society. We are masters. And guys, right now, everyone is a master of this right now. Right now, it's been like this for a while, but we're even on a heightened sense of it right now. Everyone is sitting back in front of their laptops talking about how everyone else is doing it wrong. The president's doing it wrong. The mayor's doing it wrong. The pastors are doing it wrong. My neighbor's doing it wrong. Everyone's doing it wrong. We talk about how evil everyone else is. We talk about how wrong everyone else is. We point fingers at everyone else. But what Jesus is trying to do with us is he's trying to get us to look at us and say, well, what about the evil in you? What about the evil in me? Before you sit back and tell everyone else how to do it, what about the evil in you? Before you tell everyone else how dark they are and how bad their sin is, before we start making fun of the gay community, before we start making fun of the transgendered community, before we start making fun of Democrats or Republicans, before we start making fun of other churches, before we start talking bad about this group and that group and this group and the other groups, they may be doing things that are sinful and wrong, some of those people. But right now, I think Jesus is looking at you and I saying, well, let's address your heart. I'll get to their heart. I'm already dealing with their heart. Let's talk about your heart. What about the evil in us? What about the darkness in me? You know, it's right for me to look at someone who's cheating on their spouse and say, that's wrong, that's a sin. But before I go out calling other people's sins, I need to maybe look at the pride in my heart. Or maybe I need to look at the greed in my heart. Or maybe I need to look at the envy in my heart. Does that mean I shouldn't tell other people that sin is wrong? Of course not. But I've got to address the evil in me. We've got to address the evil in us. So let me ask you today, what about us being held to a higher standard? We're holding everyone else up to a standard that we've created. What if we hold us, what if we all of us are held up to God's standards? How do we stack up? How do we stack up with accountability? Simply put, what's the beam of wood in our eyes? What is it right now? Is it a critical spirit? Is it judgmentalism? Is it hatred? Is it fear? What is the beam of wood in my eye that I need to let the Lord pull out so I can go get to work, so I can help others, so my relationship with God can grow? Listen, if you're hearing this right now, if you're watching this right now, and if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, please get a hold of us. You can send us an email at info at experiencecc.com. We'll have a pastor get a hold of you. We'll get Mike or Greg or Isaac or Muhammad or any of our pastors on staff. We'll get a hold of you. We'll talk to you. Please, if you have any questions, let us know. If you are in this room right now and you need prayer for anything, this church is open as long as there's 10 people or less. We have a sign-up sheet. You can come in here and pray. If you were to call our office, we can either pray with you over the phone or you can come in here and we can pray from you from, from 10 feet away. Whatever the case may be, please get a hold of us. Come by and sign up for one of our prayer slots or let us give you a call if you need prayer. The last thing is this. And if you're taking communion with us, and guys, listen, if all you have is orange juice and saltine crackers, it's okay. Last week, we went to go get communion as a family, my wife and kids and I. 
and all we had was grapefruit juice and saltines. It's okay. It's the symbolism behind what we're doing that's more important than if it's wine and matzah bread, okay? But here's what I want us to think about today. If you're doing communion in your home or if you're just gonna pray with me at the end of this. When we take communion, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible gives us a lot of freedom on how to take communion. But where it does not give us freedom is Jesus says you have to, the Bible says, you have to repent for your sins or you take it under condemnation to yourself. And so before we take communion, we have to address the beam of wood in our lives. So right now we have an opportunity to address the beam. Right now in your homes or in your car if you're driving, listening to the podcast, whatever the case may be, Right now, we have the opportunity to address the beam. We have the opportunity to say, God, there's something wrong with me, and you're the only one who can fix it. So here's what we're going to do. I have the body and blood in front of me, right? The bread and the wine. I'm going to pray. We're going to take this together, but we're going to ask for God to forgive us. Now, that's going to look differently for you, but I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to let you watch me do this. Okay? Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this day, God. I want to thank you, Lord, for everyone who has watched this and listened to this. I want to thank you, Lord, for every home that has turned this on and they've taken the time to, to, to disciple their children and that spouses are pouring into each other, God. Thank you, Lord, for people who are being dedicated during these hard economic times and still contributing to the church and being faithful, God. Lord, we want to pray, God, in spirit of the lesson that we've heard today. We want to pray for you to forgive us, God, and we want to pray, Lord, that you would address the beam in our, our eyes and that you would help us remove that beam, God. So we say we're sorry for that beam, but Lord, we give that beam to you. Lord, take it out of our eyes. Let us turn from that sin and let us truly seek repentance, God. Lord, we want to thank you for your cross, God, that gives us the opportunity to get forgiveness from you, to be saved and justified by you, God. Lord, we take this bread as remembrance of your body that was broken on that cross for us, Lord. Father, Lord, we also take this wine as remembrance of your blood that was shed, God, so my sins could be forgiven. So everyone who's listening to us right now, God, their sins can be forgiven, Lord. We thank you for this, God, and we take this wine in remembrance of your blood. Lord, we love you. God, before we close this out, we want to pray, Father, for all of our churches. We want to pray for the congregations of the churches, God. We want to pray just for the church as a whole, the capital C church. We want to pray for our local government, our first responders. We want to pray for our federal government, God. We want to pray, Jesus, that your will is sought during this time, that people seek you during this time. Have grace and mercy on us, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys and hope to see you soon.